1: Everyone is so very honest. I think that's the greatest um, excitement of this show to me. No one's covering, they're absolutely honest, they're collaborative and and really expressive in, in how they relay what's happening or they don't relay what's happening to you because they don't want you to know too much.
2: Hello and welcome to Entertainment Weekly's Dagaba Dispatch. We are coming to you live from a wretched hive of scum and villainy. I, as usual, am your co-host Devin Kogan and I am joined by my co-pilot Lauren Morgan. Lauren, how's it going?
3: Hello there. I'm doing all right. How are you guys doing?
2: Hello there. Our co-host Dalton Ross is out this week. He is doing some conservation work. He's busy counting the the pork population on on Octo. But we are so excited this week uh, to be joined by another one of our favorite EW people, senior writer Maureen Lanker. Maureen, how are you?
4: I'm good. I'm so happy to be here on the Dagobah Dispatch, uh, devoted listener over here, and uh, thrilled to be be talking with you.
2: Uh, Maureen is already part of the Entertainment Weekly podcast family. Uh, she's over on on screen after reading, which is such a delight, but we're so excited to have a, a sort of crossover episode where yeah. we're gonna talk Star Wars and and books on this one. Love it. So we specifically wanted to have Maureen here because we uh there is an exciting book coming out in the Star Wars universe. It is called The Princess and the Scoundrel and is about all things Han Solo and Princess Leia. We've got a lot to talk about. We're gonna talk a little bit about Princess and the Scoundrel. We've got you know. Some other Star Wars news that came out this week. We've got the Andor trailer. There's this amazing Lego Star Wars special that's out on Disney Plus. Um, and then later on in the uh, program, we've got my exclusive interview with some of the cast of The Mandalorian out of Star Wars Celebration. We've got Carl Weathers, John Carlo Esposito, Emily Swallow, and Tamura Morrison, um, and it's super fun. And we're gonna we're gonna get into that a little bit later. But to start with, let's let's talk about The Princess and the Scoundrel. Uh, Lauren and Marine, I know you guys have both read it. Maureen, as like sort of our our romance correspondent and expert at EW, what were your first impressions? Tell us! Tell us everything. I haven't read it yet, and I'm so excited for it.
4: Um, yeah, I mean, I was so excited to. From the second the cover was released, I was just obsessed. It's so beautiful. This image of Han and Leia embracing, um, and she's in her like classic indoor look with long hair and flowers in her hair. Um, I will say not that I was surprised because Star Wars is now a Disney property. So we know how that goes. But like, I really wanted this book to be hotter than the lava of Mustafar. (laughs) And, and, you know, it's really not it's it's, uh, it's a little more on the like, temperate Bespin City side of things. <laughs>
3: the sex is really in the subtext. It's kind of like a kiss and then we cut away. Like, yeah. you know?
4: There's so. a lot of doors slamming in your face. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's how it is.
2: That sounds very on brand for, for, honestly, partially Disney Star Wars, but honestly, since the beginning, you know, it's it's we get a we get a couple of good hot kisses, but, you know, that's always sort of been the vibe. But I don't know. I mean, for our, have you guys always been, I don't know about you, but for me, like the central love story between Han and Leia was always one of my my favorite parts of the original trilogy were you guys similarly
4: like as obsessed as I was oh absolutely like to me I think well first of all Leia was my way in when I was eight years old like that she was such a cool heroine and was simultaneously like sarcastic and cheeky and beautiful and could save her own hide and wield a blaster like Of course, I was obsessed with all of those things. Um, And then once I finally saw Empire Strikes Back, yeah, I was all in on that. And I definitely say I've been in love with Han Solo for a very long time. I mean, how could you not? (laughs) What about you, Lauren? Lauren?
3: Um, I will admit, as a child, Luke Skywalker had my heart, and then as a teenager, I started going, huh, that Han guy, he's kind of interesting. <laughs> so it wasn't really until I was a teenager that I think their uh, relationship sort of got my attention but uh, yeah going back to the to the book the kind of marketing is like a romance novel and it's not really a romance novel at all it's a very interesting novel but if you're looking for sexy times between Han and Leia it, it, it's not really what you're gonna get
4: stick to AO3 <laughs> if that's what you're yeah. looking for <laughs> but um, I will say it's still really fun like you get mm-hmm. to see uh, Han's marriage proposal you get to see Han and Leia's wedding um, and then they go on this honeymoon which of course turns into a mission slash adventure um and you still get to have that like banter and interplay between mm. them that makes them such an enjoyable couple so it's still really a fun read it's just yeah i agree lauren like it's literally a clinch cover it's yeah trying really hard to be like <laughs> what well, this is a star wars romance novel but it's about as chaste as the, like, Star Wars books I read in fifth grade mm-hmm. <laughs> that were yeah. deaf explicitly for children.
3: <laughs> there are some very, like, romantic moments. In that, and, like, what I thought, and this is, might be a little bit of a weird one, is that Leia was, like, basically kind of trying to pull a con, and uh, and, like, Han completely backed her up didn't actually know what she was doing. But he's just like, I'm your husband. Of course, I'm going to back you up, you know, like whatever con you're pulling, I'm here. And I'm just like, you know, that's really just a sign of love. If you're just like, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to back you up. So I you know, there was stuff in it that I thought was really it was actually
4: like really romantic. There's also a moment where they are on part of this mission and trying to uncover something and They think they're going to die. They think they're going to like drown. And then he just like grabs her and tangles his hands in her hair and kisses her. And I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. gotta love, (laughs) gotta love a good like danger clinch. We'll allow it. We'll allow it. We'll allow it. But yeah, Yeah. no, I do think, I agree, Lauren. uh, Particularly on Han's side of things and his sort of negotiating like Mm -hmm. how much he gives into his rogue scoundrel side and how much Leia likes that. And Like, how he changes as a person because he wants to be better for her is super Mm -hmm. romantic.
3: Yeah. I think that they the writer did a really great job of like where Han and Leia would be emotionally at this point in their lives because it takes place like right after Return of the Jedi like literally like days after and you get a lot of deep stuff with Leia about like learning like kind of trying to accept that Vader's her dad and it just is not going well she's just like I hate this guy I just know this man is not my father like And that kind of stuff. And so, like, she's bringing a bunch of that stuff into her marriage. And she's also trying to figure out if she can use the force and all sorts of stuff like that. So it's, like, really fascinating from that perspective. And then also, like, you're sort of seeing Han's own trauma from the fact that, like, you know, shortly before he was stuck in carbonite for a year. And so it's kind of interesting just seeing these two personalities trying to meld together in a marriage when they've been on their own for so long. So I thought that was really interesting.
4: Yeah. And it was... I don't think it's ever occurred to me how short a period of time Return of the Jedi takes place over. Mm -hmm. And so Han's whole thing about like a week or two weeks ago, I was frozen in carbonite. I'm like, oh, yeah, that really was just a couple weeks ago. (laughs) Um, And it does really have interesting interplay between like all these things that Leia did in the year that he was out of commission, basically. And I love all the stuff with her and the Force because I think a lot of people complained when she used the Force in the Last Jedi, like, oh, she's never done that before. How do we know she's Force sensitive? Mm -hmm. And so I loved how this book was explicitly showing her, like, no, from the moment she knew she was Luke's sister, this was something she was questioning and trying to figure out what it meant for her in her life. There's a really beautiful scene early in the book between her and Luke where they're discussing the future. And he offers her this path of coming with him and training to be a Jedi, just like he has, or choosing Han and marrying Han. And of course, we know what she picks, but I felt like it so beautifully captured that sort of paradox within her and her pull between these Two men who she has been going on these adventures with that we know so well.
3: Yeah, I like totally agree with that. Like, that was just really interesting. And I've always been like super fascinated about Leia and like how force sensitive is she, all of this stuff. And th- the book kind of really gets into the nitty gritty of it. And I don't know if either of you have read the book Bloodline, which takes place 25 years in the future. It's like Leia right before Force Awakens. And I thought this book drew like a beautiful line between the two of them the Leia that we see here and the Leia that we see in Bloodline, because Bloodline also deals a lot with like her parentage and that kind of stuff and things that happen later on. I think like the Lucasfilm books do really well by Leia, like the current ones like this and like Leia, Princess of Alderaan and stuff. I think they really sort of understand her character and kind of get what makes her tick and, you know, kind of what the fans are interested in seeing from her.
2: I totally agree with you. I, I think that's something that, like, I have always been fascinated by is, you know, obviously Carrie Fisher's performance is such a huge part of, of who Leia is, but, but I've always been fascinated by sort of the extra things around her, you know, going back to, you know, some of the early extended universe stuff that was published, you know, right after the original trilogy, just sort of figuring out, you know, what does she do when she's not, you know, post Return of the Jedi? And so I'm, that's one of the reasons I'm so excited to read this book is, you know, as Dalton always loves to point out, we named her number one on our our top 100 character Star Wars characters Rightfully list of all time. So. <laughs>
4: exactly. Going back to the romanticism, another thing I love about Han, like Lauren, you were pointing out how he backs her mm-hmm. up in the con and there's just this mutual protectiveness between them that I also really love. Like, Mm-hmm. When they first go on their honeymoon, Han goes off and seeks out like an illegal Sabbath game in the in the boiler room of the ship they're on. And then this guy that he encounters boasts that he wants to like kidnap Leia for ransom and how easy it would be. And like Han immediately is like, I'm going to eject his ass on an escape pod. You are not coming anywhere near my wife. And it's just like, yes, we love a slightly overprotective scoundrel husband. We love That's it. my wife. Yeah.
3: He's like totally the ultimate wife guy, as you would suspect he would be. But even she's like, you know, Leia's always the politician. She's like, you can't throw him out of the escape hatch. Like what? That's going to cause a scandal. Like, so she's like trying to be practical. And he's just like my wife. Yeah, yeah. I think it was like really lovely to see like how protective Han is over her and like, just how much the galaxy needs from Leia and how much, you know, he wants to be there for her because he knows how much pressure is on her. And, um, you know, and also him just trying to get used to the fact that, you know, he's a scoundrel and he married a princess and she had such a public relationship in the Mm. galaxy, like people knew who she was, you know, she had so much publicity. So he's just trying to get used to the fact that, you know, he is now Princess Leia's husband and not Han Solo rogue of Corellia.
4: I think for both of them, the author Beth Revis really got their voices down so well. Mm-hmm. You're like, yes, that's my space princess. Yes, that's the scruffy looking yeah. nerf herder I know and love. <laughs> like she she really captured their interior monologues and sort of the interplay that makes their relationship something that's captured people's hearts and minds for forty years. Um, I just wanted to read like two quotes exchanged between Lea and Han. It's actually like the very last chapter, but I love it so much and i feel like it encapsulates what we've been talking about it says "Leia shot him a sardonic teasing look i suppose despite some evidence to the contrary that you really are a nice man han's voice dropped an octave why don't you admit you like me just as well when i'm being a scoundrel <laughs> 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 oh my god
2: oh. So that's that's just literally that's like Empire Strikes Back, uh, like just cut dialogue. I love it so much. You know, I think you're right. I think there's a reason this particular pairing has sort of you know like captured people's hearts and imaginations for for 40 years now. You know, I think part of that is the strength of, of um, you know obviously Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford's chemistry, but also it's it's this wonderful sort of like classic. Archetype, uh, archetypal pairing where you of the princess and the scoundrel, where there's this sort of wonderful push pull between both of them.
4: Nick and Nora of space, (laughs) they (laughs) really are, (laughs) and
2: like they are both like so you know capable and smart and and brilliant, but they also like have such um, an admiration for each other, um, and and really sort of like bring out each other's best and worst qualities, which I think is just makes for like the best possible pairing.
4: Yeah, absolutely. No, they they do. They feel like a classic Hollywood couple just in a galaxy where they're fighting to establish a new republic. <laughs> 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 For sure. It's it's almost
2: like very like Grant and Hepburn in a way like it's it's got that sort of like push pull that's that's so so delightful,
4: which you know, if to be believed is largely chalked up to Carrie Fisher's dialogue punch ups. Um, <laughs> God bless her. And yeah, and we're still reaping the rewards of that today as authors are building on top of that as they do with the princess and the scoundrel here.
2: Well, I am am so excited to to read this book. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you guys is is really top of mind for you guys?
4: I just liked visiting a new planet and one that was mm-hmm. not covered in sand um the dream that was exciting
3: (laughs) they were talking about a lot of new planets that like outside of endor which makes its appearance earlier on there's a lot of other planets where i was like i've never heard of that planet you know so and that takes some work
4: lauren you probably know more because you've read many more of the books than i have but they do like knit in some mentions of kira and krensam Dawn Mm -hmm. and all of that and i liked those nods to that as well and sort of just tying all the canon history together
3: yeah, they did that. and But there is one thing for uh, people who have watched Obi-Wan Kenobi that is going to be very sad. If I'm not going to reveal it right now, but they tied in something about like Leia reflecting about oh. something that happened on Alderaan. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no! I saw no. that and I was like, no! I'm not going to say it. You guys will figure it out as soon as you see it, but I'm not saying it. But yeah, there was that. And I was like, no. Well,
4: uh, speaking of that though, this one thing I also really liked is that I recently rewatched a new hope and it's always like bugged me a little bit but this time it particularly irked me where like luke has known obi-wan for like a day and a half and like (laughs) leia has to comfort him and she never gets time to mourn the fact that her entire (laughs) planet was blown up like she has to be the strong one while he's like oh my friend that uh, i knew for a day is dead um he's
2: not
3: even talking about his aunt and uncle either i did like the fact that i left
2: them on tattooing
3: (laughs) i did like the fact that uh Rivas does talk about in the novel how when Leia even thinks about Alderaan, it's like almost just too much for her to deal with. Like she'll just th- like, and it's like the small details about things on Alderaan that really get her, but she's almost like, it's just almost too much. Of, uh, of that to deal with. But there is a really touching moment during the wedding ceremony that calls back to something uh with Brea and Bale. And I thought that was really lovely and, and, and not even quite sure if it was a force moment or just sort of a wish of Leia's. But that was just like a really like, you know, a heartwarming moment. But I do think they do kind of get into it a little bit of like why Leia just kind of doesn't react for the rest of New Hope. Yeah. She's just in shock.
4: Like, and then they give her some job. space here to really... Mm-hmm mourn what she's lost and you see how much that loss is still weighing on her even Mm -hmm. just like a a couple years or a year or so after it has happened and you really see how it plays into her hatred for Vader and her her inability to accept her parentage so I felt like all of that was really well done because yeah like we never really get to see her reaction to her home planet blowing up and so (laughs) it was nice to get some perspective into that and Understand how truly terrible it was for her since we mm-hmm. don't really get to see that on screen. That yeah, makes you do get sense. like
3: the much more like the um, emotional, like. Uh, repercussions of it here and i also like the fact that there are some like luke and leia scenes like that's why i always kind of regret it in the sequel trilogy that we didn't get more extensive luke and leia time together because i'm like these two have so much to talk about like this is just a lot of information that these two like they've got a lot of information to find out about their parents and all sorts of stuff like they've got it they i want to hear these conversations these two are having with each other because this is a lot of like trying to figure out like so why were you on Tatooine? And why was I on Alderaan? And like, what the heck happened to you? Like, and who is our mother, by the way?
4: Like, that fun they stuff. also, I will say they did briefly try to explain why Luke Ugh. remembers uh, his mother as a newborn and Leia does not. They like, uh, they tried to like, provide a context and explanation for why that would be the case. I don't know that it's quite works, but I did appreciate yeah. the effort. Yeah, there are some like they try and fill in
3: some plot holes, and I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. But you know,
4: they're doing a valiant attempt here about that.
3: Yeah, yeah. Ten out of
4: ten for effort.
3: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. But you know, I think I think if you're interested in the in if you're expecting a a a big romantic sexy time novel, you're not going to get that. But it is a pretty interesting novel on you know taking on its uh, its own value. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's so up my alley as somebody who, who loves, you know, anything to do with Leia and specifically her relationship with Han. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'll be there. I, I, I'm headed to the bookstore to, to get it. So that was The Princess and the Scoundrel. But we also got a little bit of other Star Wars news this week. The full trailer dropped for the upcoming Andor series, um, as well as the news that the premiere date is going to be pushed back a little bit from from August to September. Um, you know, it's a really beautiful, epic, crazy trailer. I mean, Lauren, tell me a little bit about what were some of your takeaways from from that crazy trailer?
3: I thought the trailer looked like amazing, and I and I thought it was funny. Like they they kind of moved themselves out of the House of the Dragon, Lord of the Rings face off that's happening right in that that period of time. So personally, I was like, okay, I can deal with this being in September. But yeah, like the the trailer looked great. It looked epic. There's some curious things going on with the wigs on Stellan Scarsgar's head, which <laughs> I was a little bit like, what's going on here? But like the thing I'm like super excited about, and I mentioned before, like. Mon Mothma getting a real plot line yes. and like real like you know seeing her work in her uh, her her stuff and stuff like that. I'm so excited to see that. The whole trailer looked great. I know that they uh, they filmed this in Pinewood Studios and that they don't think that they use the volume for this. So it's like a lot of like actual sets and things like that. I know there were some complaints about Obi Wan Kenobi uh, and their use of the volume, but I think perhaps people won't be making the same complaint
4: here. Yeah, what about you, Maureen? Did you have a chance to to watch this trailer? Yeah, and um I like Lauren am relieved it's been pushed back to give us more time to watch <laughs> right? all the things. <laughs> um and I similarly am very excited about Mon Mothma getting a full storyline. She played a supporting role in The Princess and the Scoundrel, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. But mostly, honestly, I mean, this will not be surprising to either of you, but I'm just real happy that hot space daddy Cassian Andor is <laughs> back to play. Like, obviously, if I'm a Han and Leia fan, I am also a Cassian Andor <laughs> fan. and uh, And I hope we get to to see some of that smolder put to good use over the course of the series. <laughs>
3: there there was a scene that looked like there were, you know, so, it looked like someone was about to get kissed in one of them, and it wasn't Stellan Skarsgård,
4: so, I, you, know, <laughs> it, but, you, know, <laughs> you know, Or Forrest Whitaker. Or Forrest Whitaker.
3: I was say, yeah, I was also glad to see Saul, Saul back uh, creating chaos in the Rebellion, as usual. So Pure chaos. Yeah, I love this period in Star Wars where, like, the Rebellion is starting to take proper formation, so I'm really excited about this one
4: I felt like what made the first season and the second of Mandalorian work so well was that this was a character we'd never met before and so I'm excited to we've met Cassian and we've met Mon but we don't really know as much about them as we know about like Luke, Leia, Han at Mm -hmm. all and so I think you know the strength of the Star Wars franchise going forward is exploring places we haven't been before and stories we don't no, and branching out from those very familiar characters so mostly i'm just after obi-wan which i really enjoyed but definitely thought was kind of a mess i am really excited to just spend some time with people i really know very little about on mm-hmm. screen and um not come in with those same expectations that you have for like in obi-wan kenobi
3: Yeah. And I think also like seeing those actors who I've like, I've really liked in other projects. You're always just like, yeah, they get to play in the star Wars sandbox too. This is fun.
2: Yeah, that's always one of my favorite things is just seeing like what kind of weird actors pop up on these on these shows. And I totally agree with you guys about like, look, I'll watch Diego Luna smolder in space for as many episodes as you've <laughs> given me. You know, I as a general rule, I've talked about this on the podcast before. I'm not a huge fan of prequels. I am I, mm-hmm. not like they're generally not my favorite form of storytelling. You know, when we were at Star Wars Celebration, you know, Diego Luna made a joke on stage. He's like, well, at least I've got the job security because I know they can't kill me off <laughs> at any point during the series because we know. We Know you know how how uh, Cassian meets his end, um, but I am I I think you know I totally agree with you. Like Mon Mothma is one of the things that I'm most intrigued about about this series. You know she's always been one of my favorite characters. Somebody years ago put together basically a supercut of like all of the women who speak on screen in in Star Wars, and the whole thing's like 15 minutes, and it's um, yeah. through the entire original trilogy, and it's just Leia, Aunt Beru, like an unnamed. Rebel technician and Mon Mothma. I mean, she sort of is the you know one of the few female characters that we got um, you know in the original trilogy. And I've loved sort of seeing bits and pieces of her you know throughout the um, obviously through Rogue One and you know some of the the prequels. And so I'm I'm excited to sort of dig into to her story because again, I think it's a really interesting time. This uh, Andor is set about five years before Rogue One. Um, you know, it's sort of the the early days of the rebellion. Um, it's not quite yet what we will come to to know as as being led by you know leia and stealing the death star plans and all of those things so i'm i'm very excited for for that specific storyline
3: yeah, me too. And her costumes just look fantastic. So I'm, I'm glad to see that she got out of the white, uh, the white muumu. So gowns, you know, the white beautiful gowns, and, yeah, beautiful <laughs> gowns. You know, I'm
4: always excited to see more beautiful female costumes or more interesting female costumes in Star Wars. Like I always will never forget, like when Carrie Fisher saw uh, Attack of the Clones for the first time, and she's like, I had one dress. <laughs> The whole movie and this bitch is turning up in a new outfit every 2.5 seconds.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That always reminds me of one of my favorite Carrie Fisher stories where I think she was having a conversation with George Lucas about, you know, the kind of undergarments that she would wear under her under her dress. And and basically, I think George said something along the lines of there are no bras in space um, because they'll they'll, like strangle you or or constrict (laughs) you. And and Carrie Fisher wrote in, in her memoir that she says that's how I I, I want to die drowning in moonlight strangled by my own bra, um, and that is <laughs> I remember that I always think about that. It's it's one of my absolute favorite Carrie Fisher stories. Well, the Android trailer has this like wonderful sort of paranoid conspiracy thriller spy story. Mm. It's created by Tony Gilroy, who wrote a lot of the Bourne movies and worked on Rogue One. Um, but there's another uh, totally tonal shift um, of a Star Wars project that, that's coming out on Disney Plus this week. It is the the Lego Star Wars Summer Special, which Lauren, I know you have seen um, and have uh, are, are writing about a little bit for the site. Lauren, what can you tell us about this this you know Lego foray into into the Star Wars universe.
3: Well, it actually strangely has a connection to the princess and the scoundrel because uh, Finn and the gang are on the same vessel that uh, Han and Leia take their honeymoon on and is also the basis of the Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel that you can spend a lot of money uh, visiting yourself. We love synergy. You we love
2: corporate synergy.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. It is a lot of corporate synergy going on, but it is pretty fun. If like, I know you've played Lego Star Wars, uh, Devin, so Big I don't know if you have Marine. But um, it, it just kind of deals with the Star Wars canon in the sort of funny and silly way that it normally does. I am like
4: as good at video games as stormtroopers are with blasters. So <laughs>
3: <laughs> I was I when when this first came out, I was telling Devin that I just kept accidentally killing people because I hadn't played like I literally hadn't played a video game since the original Legend of Zelda in like 1988. Like so I was terrible at it. and I've gotten a little bit better.
2: I mean, it is a video game for children, so pretty much. Maybe I, I, maybe I that's to... my speed then.
4: Yeah,
3: <laughs> uh, yeah. Actually, I managed to like. I have like now. I could play like a decent eight year old, you know. Yes. So it's not. It's not too bad. The one thing that I think is pretty cool about the the whole uh, thing is that. Finn is really being treated like a burgeoning Jedi because there's a bunch of force ghosts who are uh, visiting this vacation and they're all visiting Finn and they're not visiting Rey. Rey is like kind of like a side character. She's like out by the pool reading the Jedi text with a big sun hat on. But like Finn is being visited by like Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker and Princess Leia who kind of, it's like kind of like the, the you know, the ghosts of summer vacations past. Obi-Wan is talking about, you know, a time when he was on Tatooine and, you know, was pretending to be someone's husband and wearing a Hawaiian shirt and singing with Max Rebo's band, which is pretty funny. And then Anakin Skywalker, who is voiced by Matt Lanter from The Clone Wars, who always does a really good Anakin. (laughs) You find him snorkeling on a beach and that's where Finn comes across him, snorkeling. And then um, there's kind of a touching one where Leia talks about a trip she took with Han and Ben Solo to like end or like for a, a summer vacation. And there's a pretty touching moment with Ben and Han at the end of it. Uh, so it's like, I mean, it's pretty silly, but you know, if your kid likes Legos, if your kid likes star Wars, you know, it's going to be sort of right up their alley. The part of it that I really liked though, was like, Oh yeah, we are really treating like Finn is going to become a Jedi. Like this is becoming Canon. So Finally. I mean, I <laughs> wish they had, I wish they had done this in like the rise of Skywalker rather <laughs> than a Lego star Wars thing. But you know, we'll take what we can get for right now. (laughs)
2: <laughs> we'll take it. Yeah, one of the things I've always loved about sort of the Lego Star Wars franchise, whether it's you know these these specials or the the video games or things like this, mm-hmm. is that it, it you know isn't afraid to poke fun at Star Wars, but it does it in a very kind of like winking fan way, mm-hmm. um, which I think is is like such a delight. We we talk we've talked quite a few times on this podcast about the recent Skywalker Saga Lego Star Wars video game, and it just has all these like fun gags, and and there's some great voice performances, and like it's just like a fun. You know I think sometimes you know we we take Star Wars very seriously. We we do host a podcast about it which which mm-hmm. shows how <laughs> seriously we take it. Um but but I think there's something like really the sense of joy and comedy and ridiculousness that you see specifically with some of the, the that Lego franchise is I always embrace and I always always really love.
3: Yeah, there's some interesting vocal performances. Uh, Billy Dee Williams and Kelly Marie Tran actually do uh, voice their own characters. Matt Lanter from Clone Wars plays uh, Anakin. James Arnold Taylor does his uncannily good Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then we also get Weird Al Yankovic and Yvette Nicole Brown and also Paul F. Tompkins. So there's like, a you know, a good uh, collection of vocal performances going on in this. So I, I did really enjoy it
2: absolutely well yeah. there's a lot of great star wars content the the princess and the scoundrel there is an andor trailer this lego star wars uh summer special um and we're going to take a quick break uh but stay tuned because when we come back we're going to have my interview uh with some of the key cast members of the mandalorian out of star wars celebration we've got carl weathers john carlo esposito emily swallow and Temuera morrison so stay tuned for that
1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
2: Thank you guys so much for, for chatting with me. Uh, you literally just stepped off the stage at Star Wars Celebration. What was it like to be up on that stage with that, that huge Mandalorian cast?
5: What was it like? It was fantastic. Are you kidding me? The audience to respond uh, as they do to Mandalorian, to all the talent in the Mandalorian and to these various characters that we all play. And uh, if you're going to do work and nobody sees it, that's disappointing. But uh, we're pretty much guaranteed that a few people are going to watch The Mandalorian based on that response of those thousands of people there. Yeah, nothing
6: like a Star Wars fan. Ooh, nothing passion. like it. Oh, Fashion. 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 We can feel it. We can hear it. and uh, Yes, and as you say, uh, guaranteed, market <laughs> yes. guaranteed market. Yes. Plus, they know all your other work as well. They come with a lot of knowledge Absolutely about you. True. They've looked you up. So, So it's not just Star Wars with these guys, but what a an amazing depth of passion towards the the Mandalorian. And even watching the uh, reaction to the new Mando 3 series that they've been uh, probably still editing at the moment. Yes. So, uh, yeah, fantastic. Fantastic just to be part of the family.
0: It's incredible, especially because at the last celebration pre-COVID, they were just showing the trailer for season one of this show. And now... Having gone through what we've all been going through the past few years with the pandemic and having been sitting at home probably watching The Mandalorian Seasons 1 and 2 and The Book of Boba Fett over and over and over and over, it's so joyful to get to be together in person and it's just such a wonderful thing um, to get to interact with the fans and to experience that community together. It's so much fun for us to get to be together. Um, yeah. I only recently met Giancarlo, even though we were on the show together. <laughs> yes. I only were just you, met
1: him. Were Tom. you on this show? Um, yes. I mean, sometimes <laughs> I pop up here oh, and there. Oh, okay. Mm.
5: What role do you play?
1: Oh, I have to try to think about that a moment. I think it's a cameo.
5: Oh, okay, it's okay. Little, I'm sorry, I'm just saying, I just, uh, He's green I'm, on the show. I've always been in love with him, and 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 I didn't know he was in the Mandalorian. Giancarlo. Esposito, is it? Yeah, yeah, that, that, is it? you guys Esposito. Later. Esposito. Yeah. Esposito. Oh, Esposito. Just Esposito. You knew Esposito. I knew what I was doing there, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> I know. You're just dating me. Get <laughs> <In> my <laughs> Italian right right see us all in the flesh because he, he was yeah. up in the
6: spaceship in Last Ooh, of Us. That's right. No. My He's fighter. up there somewhere. The notice guy. how we
5: just took this and we just left you completely. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. No,
0: it's okay. Well, that's the feeling on stage, too. We come out on stage and I want to say hi to everybody and talk to everybody. And then the number of fans and the enthusiasm is just. Overwhelming. It's it's. I, there's, it's I don't a have feeling. words. Yeah. It's a lovely
1: feeling. Yeah, it's an organic feel, feeling from Star Wars fans because um, I think not only are they affected by what they see in regard to the trailer, they're affected by the fact that they're they're enthusiastic that it's coming out. They're very smart and intelligent fans, and so they're looking for any kind of clues that tell them what the story might become. Mm-hmm. But the energized nature of their love is 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 truly palpable. Uh, in that room today and it it gives us energy to want to please them and to intelligently talk about the show in their presence. And there were only
5: thousands of them. Thousands.
1: So
0: many lightsabers.
5: Insane how many people were in that stadium. I mean really, you know, and like those three levels, the floor level, then the balcony and then the piece above that. I mean, it's like going to a Dodgers game, man. I mean, it was insane how many people
6: the Dodgers game in, in space, yes. Yes. There you go. <laughs> in another galaxy yes. far, far away. Far away. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Absolutely. And, Tim, you've been a part of this galaxy for such a long, long time. You know, obviously, it's the 20th anniversary of Attack of the Clones. What's it been like to be part of this family and, and part of this story and, and still be telling new stories?
6: Yes, we're well, just blown away to be us back for a start. Uh, fortunately, Boba had to look a little bit like Django, being the clones. Sunset. So lucky it was still around this and mm. you know, it hasn't been uh, weathered too much and uh, sort of made the right uh, time zone and uh, age. You're, I you're a
5: handsome man. Come oh, on. Thank you. Thank Come you. on. You. You're handsome. They got to have you back. Yes. Give me a break. But here. yes, very
6: honored and grateful oh. for something that happened back in the year 2000, Attack of the Clones, and to be asked back. And also mm. to have a better chance of being better. Mm. And okay. Because in Django, fed was having too much fun. I got to dress up, wear the helmet, and sing a few songs for George, and <laughs> go like this, and people would fall over and fight <laughs> Obi Wan Kenobi. Man, I was just having so much fun. So I thought I'd better, you know, really put the work in this time and do a little bit more research and uh, make the most of the opportunity. Because sometimes they don't come by again.
3: Amen.
2: Absolutely. And and Emily, one of the things I really love about the show is the armorer. What are the challenges of playing a character who is so stoic and basically,
0: you know, hiding her face? Um, well, one thing is that is not a challenge is that I don't spend two hours in the hair and makeup chair every morning, which is lovely. Um, it's a wonderful challenge because I am in, in my day to day life a lot more expressive and kinetic and fidgety. And um, getting to spend time with the armor makes me simplify things a lot more. And um, she is very grounding. And it's a wonderful acting, I wouldn't say obstacle, but it, it is sort of an obstacle to suddenly not have access to this tool that you usually use to communicate with people. And one of the things that we found when we started experimenting way back at the beginning, when we were shooting, we were shooting episodes one and three at the same time. And so all of us that were putting on these helmets, just, we, you know, started playing and getting feedback from uh, Dave and Deborah, who were directing those two episodes about what would read on camera, which is also a different thing because I had done mass work in theater But when you're on theater, the audience can see your entire body at once. And so you have a greater canvas to work with. When you're working on camera, you don't know what shots they're going to be using at given any moment. You don't know what part of the story is playing at any given time. So um, you're sort of at the mercy of the editor. And so we had to get a lot of feedback about what was playing, what wasn't playing. And um, you learn that uh, you really have to be judicial in how you're moving because any tiny movement reads hugely so you also can't do things like look down to see where you're walking you can't do things like when you're grabbing your tools when you are an armorer a blacksmith you can't like really look to see what you're getting And so I had to have a lot of faith that I would not fall over. (laughs) I had to have a lot of confidence that I knew what I was doing, which was appropriate for her. And so I had to act as if I had confidence in those things until I did have confidence in those things. The confidence built itself, I guess. I I pretended I had it till I did.
2: That makes sense. And Giancarlo, what has been the biggest surprise or or the thing that you weren't expecting about joining the story?
1: Oh, I, I don't know that I was expecting people to be so free. Uh, I thought there'd be much more stringent parameters with which to work in and uh, to have creators who are um, so very open and free in their knowledge of the history of this particular franchise, but also being free enough and open enough to allow you um, some room uh, as an actor to be able to uh, extend your portrayal of the character was just, uh, it was just odd to me to be in a world where They would want to talk to me about what I thought and allowed me to be a contributor. And that's always what works best for any actor in a partnership, to be told what really works well and then to be suggested to try something else. Um, The freedom with which they play in the sandbox is just something that amazes me. Um, I have just so many different great moments where I may have had a question and uh, the question could be answered by making a certain decision in that moment. But instead of that, the question invites another question, and then another question. And then before we know it, where's Dave? Is he walking his dog, or is he up in his office with the dog, or is he outside? I think he's walking his dog. Well, tell him to come in with the dog. And then they come into the set, and that all those questions that led to more questions lead to a new understanding of where the scene could go, and a decision made upon one word that may be suggested that wasn't used or that Dave thought of but didn't write. Everyone is so very honest, and I think that's the greatest um, experience excitement of this show to me. No one's covering, they're absolutely honest, they they're collaborative and and really expressive in in how they relay what's happening or they don't relay what's happening to you because they don't want you to know too much.
2: That makes total sense. And and Carl, what for you has been the most rewarding part of working on this show?
5: Well, oh, the most rewarding meeting both of them. Uh, oh, that could be
0: I Can be read it. his mind. Um <laughs> Uh, You know, um,
5: I think just doing what we all do provides so much reward when you have good material and you have people that get in the game with you, so to speak, and who hit the ball well. If they hit the ball well, it gives you an opportunity to shine because now you've got to find that ball and get it back to them, you know? We have, I think, Been really and truly blessed with the creators of this show because we have one who himself was an actor, began as an actor and a writer and a director. Now that's pretty unique. And we have another who was at the right hand of the creator of all this for God knows how many years since he was a young man. So there's a wealth of knowledge there in both the area of the material and in the area of what we do as actors slash directors, right? So for me, it's really about being, being a part of this and getting to work with these people who are so talented, who do such good work, which we've seen before, so it's not none of it's new to you, you know, it's just, again, we have material now that we all can dive into and find our way through and hopefully bring bring the magic out of it to all these fans who can't wait <laughs> to see the next installment. You know, And obviously today and this weekend just shows you how much they can't wait because they all came here, they took their time, they spent their money to come here, be a part of this, and cheer us on and look at the trailer and go like gaga over it. Man, how rewarding is that?
6: What about your directing? How did you find stepping out and so, having to direct? Uh, I, I love, first of upsets. all, that's my
5: passion. Okay. My passion really is that. But I've been doing that since 93, so nothing new in that. It's directing with great collaborators. That doesn't always happen. And that's no disparaging on anyone else. But in episodic television in particular, you're you're just a guest, you know, and you get invited in, and if you do a good job, you may get invited back. But that's a whole other kind of grind. You know, with this, there's a tremendous investment that the producers, the directors, the writers, the creators make. And then we come in and make our investment. And when it all works, the audience benefits. I don't know about anybody else, but really deep down inside, that's why we do it. They, we do it because we want that applause. I want people to say, oh, God, I love what you do. I mean, there's no, you know, yes, the money is good. Sometimes. Yes. <laughs> the, <laughs> yes, the atmosphere is good. Sometimes. But, man, when audiences love your efforts, I just want to do better. I just want to, you know, I, wanna, I want more love.
6: You know? I totally agree with what he said and what John Carlos said and what Emily said.
2: All right, great. Uh, well, that's it for me. But thank you guys so much for joining me. So that is our episode. I wanted to say thank you to the Mandalorian cast for that wonderful interview. Um, as always, uh, my co-host Lauren Morgan, and thank you to Maureen Lee Lenker for for joining on this uh, us on this episode. We love a we love a crossover.
4: Yes, thank you. My pleasure. I am always down to talk Star Wars anytime. And uh, may the force be with you, ladies. May the force be, be with, with you. you.
2: From, from the Dagaba dames, that's that's us uh, <laughs> signing off. And that is it for this episode of Dagaba Dispatch. If you liked what you heard, follow, rate the podcast, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. To keep the conversation going, follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials, at EW on Twitter, and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag us, at Dalton Ross, at Devin Cogan, and at Morduar. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch is hosted by Dalton Ross, Devin Kogan, and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.